So, Jeff, when you give us the 200 words or less on uh, who you are and what you do, just to refresh people's memory, although it's not your first rodeo here on the podcast. No, no. Um, I've been coaching runners and, and triathletes now for 24 years. I started yeah. as solely a running coach and then moved into triathlon and have been doing it um, ever since. So, you got any runners in the CIM this weekend? Yeah, I got a young guy from Oklahoma who's running CIM. Is he trying to qualify? Well, his long-term goal is to qualify. He's young, so his qualifying standard is an aggressive number. This time, we're going in there just to, to knock 15 minutes off his PR. And, you know, that's going to put him a couple of minutes short of qualifying. But I believe in sending him in the race is realistic. I don't think he can knock almost 30 minutes off his time his first time out around. So, right. yeah, he's had a great training cycle. So I think 315 is is really doable for him. Yeah. It's a learning experience, right? It takes kind of takes the pressure yeah. off. Let's execute a less emotional race. So I was reading your site there, and I saw a blog post that I thought was very useful for people right now. And I wanted to talk through a couple of aspects there, a couple of aspects of this. The first one being the concept of periodicity in your training, and not just inside the training cycle, but across the whole year. Right. And so talk a little bit about the different phases in sort of a long cycle as opposed to a short cycle. Well, I'm a big believer in a 24 to 30 week training cycle for any race that you do. I think people forget. I don't care how, how greatly conditioned you are going into one race and you come out of that and you want to have another great race. You basically go back to the beginning. And to me, the beginning is always starting with, with two thought process in mind. And one is, is developing your aerobic capacity, your slow twitch fibers, and your economy. I think the word economy is something that really gets overlooked throughout the, the early parts of a training cycle. And then when you move through those two cycles, then we get into a little bit harder work. And the whole process of periodization is, is to develop it's muscular adaptation, right? And it's cardio adaptation. It's not just go out and run, 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 run. And and oftentimes I think too many people think, well, the space stuff is too slow for me. I don't want to do that. And again, a lot of people get confused in a base cycle where they're doing workouts, but they're not really getting a workout, right? And because they're running too slow or they don't understand what their heart rate zones are and they don't understand what they should be achieving in each workout and they get bored and they want to move right into more intense workouts. And and eventually those more intense workouts, sure, will increase their ability to run faster, but it will increase their ability to run faster longer. Yeah. And I think part of it is not just the less perceived quality, right? It's psychological. So there's this perception that you're not doing any work and also the volume's lower too, right? You tend to do more cross training and and stuff you normally wouldn't do. And there's a reason for that, right? Sure. Uh, This time of year, as we get into the base and and I call it the the base now in the economy phase, right? You want to teach your body how to be as economical when you're performing as, as anything else. And what happens is in this early part of the base training I'll have people work on form, whether they're a triathlete or a runner. I have them working on form and technique. And a lot of times when you change your technique, your heart rate elevates. And you yeah. get back and you say, geez, coach, you know, my heart rate was too high. I say, let that happen. We're developing a new technique. We're engaging different fibers, different muscles. And as that happens, your heart has to make that adjustment. But over a period of weeks, that adjustment will get made and you'll drop back down into your norm. And this is the time of year that it's really good to do that because you're in that off-season mode and you're losing a little bit of fitness, which we talked about earlier. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So this time of year, it's about, hey, 
how do I really get better going into next year? What do we think I can really do to get better for next year? And I always say, well, based on economy, where do you want to start? What about psychologically? People hate to lose that fitness. And if you're coming off a fall race, maybe in October or November, then you're you're saying, okay, I'm going to back off and do something different. Psychologically, people hate to, to lose that peak fitness, right? Oh, sure, of course. And, you know, none of us want to get, quote, unquote, out of shape. Here's one of the things I think. I, I think people don't research enough. And I have my athletes, you know, I say, here's an article, read it, because this guy's smarter than me, so read his article. And you'll see, if you look at what elite athletes do, elite athletes always have a period in between A races where they lose fitness. Because you might be losing a little bit of fitness, you might be putting on a couple pounds, but at the same time, your body is recovering and completely repairing. So when you right. start out in that next phase, you're going in that next phase with a fresh, healthy body, and you actually see gains quicker. And that's a very hard thing to get people to understand. You know what? Hey, you'll put on five pounds, take it a little bit easy. Let's do some other kind of work just to keep your body in reasonable shape, and then we'll get back into a training phase. They go, oh, geez, gain five pounds. And it was a great or example. Or, you know. Yeah. Or 10, yeah. You know who was a great example of that was, uh, who I can't think of the fighter's name, Hands of Stone. Roberto Duran. Between fights, Roberto Duran would gain 25 pounds. And then when he'd start training, he'd cut his weight back down to get ready for the next fight. And he always went into the fights in great shape, except at the end of his career. But there's a great example. If you're a triathlete and you, you look at what the Rennies of the world do and the Daniela Reefs of the world do at this time of year, they're taking a couple of weeks off. In July, if they're trying to qualify for Kona, they'll race their last race in July and they'll shut down for three or four weeks just to lose a little bit of fitness, and then in August, pick it back up to get ready for October. So losing fitness is really a good thing in gaining fitness, as crazy as that sounds. So how does this work for the ultra guys? They like to be able to step into a 24-hour race at any point, right? So they have this sort of baseline fitness. Like, I have the baseline fitness where I can basically step into a marathon and jog a marathon any day of the week, right? Not that I'd want to do that, but I could, right? And the ultra guys are the same way. They can step into a 50-mile race or a 24-hour race at the drop of a hat because they have that fitness. How's that different than your competitive marathoner trying to break three hours at Boston? In reality, I really don't think there is much of a difference because of of the difference in the conditioning level. These guys and gals who are 100-mile and 24-hour runners They've been there, they've done that. And just like you said, you can step into a race at any time and you know you can finish a marathon. They actually have that same mentality. Okay, well, if I want to just go do something, I'm going to go do it. Now, do I want to do something competitively? Then I have to make the adjustments and go back into the training cycle just like anyone else. But I think we underestimate the power of our mental ability and where we've been and what we've done to to carry us through that next obstacle. As you said, I I could go out tomorrow and say, I'm going to run a marathon and I haven't done much training in the last three or four months at all, but I could go out and muddle my way through a marathon just because I've done it so many times. And I I think that applies to just about anyone who has the confidence and in their ability to do that. Yeah. And I think there's something basically human about the periodicity. I think it's seasonal, right? So I think as humans, we need to go through cycles and you can't hold your foot on the pedal or near the edge. You can't train near the edge all the time, obviously. But I think these bigger cycles, these longer cycles where you let yourself get a little less fit, psychologically, I think that matches the way we are as sort of seasonal mammals, right? Yeah, I agree with that. And again, to have the foot down on the pedal all the time isn't where your biggest benefits come from. 
it's conditioning that cardiovascular system and conditioning your body to be more economical. And I've told people for years, the, the bigger the base, right? We say this all the time, the bigger the base, the higher the peak. And we know for a fact that it's our slow twitch fibers that carry us longer and stronger than the fast twitch fibers. And our fast twitch fibers wake up overnight. So to be out challenging the fast twitch fibers and not developing the slow twitch fibers in our body and the cardiovascular system is probably one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of age groupers make. I remember, and you yeah. probably remember back in your day, well, back in your day when we were young and in our 20s, it was no pain, no gain training, right? Because right. we didn't have the science that we have today. And I tell people all the time, I, I, geez, I can't imagine what kind of race times I might have run if I knew of the science of training that I knew today. Well, I'm sure think, you remember going out going out before a race, the day before the race, you're out running one-mile repeats, right? Yeah, yeah, or the week before. Anyhow, I'd have yeah. that volume pretty high right up until the race, but I'd also have a whole lot more volume, a whole lot more quality. And the other thing we used to do, besides running races every week or every month, the other thing we yeah. used to do is it wouldn't take us 24 weeks to train for a race. It would take us 10 weeks or 12 weeks, right, because we'd just increase the intensity so high it was either sort of make it or break it right? Which, you know, yeah. is valid, but typically it's probably a high 50% chance of getting injured. Yeah, there's a 50% chance of getting injured. And the thing is, is that we were all racing at a plateau that we could never get over and we didn't understand it because we were always training yeah. at that plateau and we weren't teaching our bodies how to get stronger longer. I remember for me, a, an average workout was to go out and run five miles out in 6.10 or 6.15 and then five miles back at 5.45 or something, and then not understand why I wasn't getting any faster at racing. And we did right. that every yeah. day. Yeah. You just can't yeah. go on and perform it at race level every day of the week and expect to get better. But that's something yeah, we learned you know, years later. Yeah, and the other thing that's different now is that there's a lot more older athletes, right? And again, it's a timescale thing, right? So you're not just training for that one marathon effort. You're training for your life. And if yeah. you put that kind of volume and intensity in for more than, I would say more than six months, your chances of getting injured in a way that's going to knock you back for a year or two are get really high, right? Yeah, it's because as we get older, we don't recover as quickly. I can't run seven days a week anymore. I mean, the bottom line is I just can't do it because my body doesn't recover. And you're right, it's an injury waiting to happen. So as an older athlete, the biggest focus is on how do I recover? Where do I get gains in what I want to do without hurting myself? And you know, that's yeah. why we understand so much more about cross-training, why runners don't cycle more, I don't understand, why runners don't swim more, especially when I, I'm talking 50-plus-year-old runners, why they don't do yeah. that more to aid in their recovery while, in fact, increasing their fitness levels and reducing their chance for injury. It makes no sense to me. I remember, and you know I have a guy who I train in, who, in Minnesota who he hated to swim, but he's one of our faster guys and that we trained back in the day. And when I taught him how to swim, he started running better uh, just yeah. because he wasn't beating his body up six days a week anymore. He was only running four days a week. We cut his mileage from 85, 90 miles a week back to a, a max in his peak training cycle of 65. We threw in a bike a week and a swim a week and, and the cross training for strength, and he became faster. Yeah. No, I always found that if I had a summer cycle, because I break it down into a spring, summer, and fall cycle, right? And then I take this time of year yeah. sort of off. But I always remember if I had a summer cycle with a target triathlon in June, July, or August, somewhere in there, right? That 
Right. The fall cycle coming yeah. out of that was necessarily a shorter training cycle because then you're looking at an October race. So you really don't have a whole cycle there. But I always came out of those triathlon training cycles and competed much better in that fall, that shorter fall cycle. See what I'm saying? As opposed yeah. to coming off a running cycle where I was in peak running shape. Yeah, and, and it's amazing how that works. And it's also amazing how the, the reduction in injury happens from all that cross My triathletes that I train, who train more hours than any runner that I train, very seldom have overuse injuries because of the variation in the training and the different kind of workouts that they're doing all the time. And they're just not that, that repetitive pounding and repetitive pounding and repetitive pounding, which breaks their bodies down. They get on the bike and if you get on the bike and you can ride forever. I always tell people, if you run a marathon, any 10 year old can ride a bike 110 miles, right? But yeah. for them, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm an old runner from way back, and I say this to people when, when I have my marathoner say to me, I think I want to try a 70.3. I say, can you swim? And they say, a little bit. I say, okay, fine. They say, if you can run a marathon, you can ride a bicycle for 56 miles. You can ride a bicycle for 100 miles. The only thing that happens is your ass hurts. So yeah. It, it, yep. Yeah. And, but that actually allows them to get cardiovascular work in. They get to work different muscles in the legs and in the glutes, which aids in their ability to run better. There's so it many things that, that yeah yeah it balances yeah you. yeah and and I see increases in performance in my runners that way. You know, I had a girl this year who did her first. She's a marathoner and she's quick. She's a sub. She's I think her PR is a 307. We're training for Boston right now to try to go sub three. And she did her first Ironman and she got off the bike and she said, okay, you know, she never really rode before. She got off the bike and she ran a 327 marathon. And yeah. you know, I said and. And she was like, oh, my God. I said, well, you know, you're a runner. You got off the bike and you did what you know how to do. And I think that's important. It's, but now she's like all hell-bent on, you know, she wants to go to Kona. But she, I mean, she's, a, she's, a talent, she's a talented little athlete. And she never broke 20 minutes in a 5K before. And we have not done – we came out of Ironman Louisville. We went into a recovery phase for about four weeks. We came out. We went back in the base building for Boston. And she said to me, I'm running a turkey trot, and I've never broken 20 minutes in a 5K. I said, well, that's ridiculous. Just go out and run. And we didn't do any speed work at all, basically. And she went into that 5K and ran 19.08 just on having yeah. an increased base. So, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all cumulative. And the, the balance helps a lot, especially in the shorter different distances. The balance helps a lot. I mean, the balanced um, muscle. You know, doing that triathlon yeah. strength thing gives you that balance. It helps a lot. So talk about the going back to the – we're doing sort of that base building and lower effort stuff now. What are the next phases for somebody if they have a an April, May, June marathon coming up or, well, a, think, or a triathlon or an effort? Yeah, after you get out of that, the first couple base phases where, you know, you've increased your efforts a little bit because you find out that you're getting stronger, you go into the build phase. And I'm a big fan of hill work, but smart hill work. A lot of people think that every time they go out and run hills, they have to be running it at anaerobic levels, and they don't realize that in the beginning, medium effort hill work is probably one of the best things you can do. I'm a big fan of hill work in the off-season if you run hills easily, because nothing builds strength and economy like running hills. And you get people out there, and they're doing, you know, 10 by 60 seconds, 10 by 90 seconds at a zone three effort up the hill, recovering, coming back down, and they do a series of hill repeats like that. I think in, in phase two, that's one of the most important things that you can do. And then to start throwing in medium effort fartlek work. And when I say medium effort fartlek work, again, we're zone three stuff. We're marathon race pace stuff, right? I always tell people zone three is pretty much your marathon race pace these days. So if you're doing that, again, 
you're preconditioning the body to go into the next phase of intensity to help reduce the chance of injury. And then that final phase is a lot of long tempo, right? Yeah, you know, and the, the last couple phases of training is something that over the years has been, I think, ignored by a lot of people, and that's race specificity. How many times I think you heard me say to people, I want you to do this run on a course like is your, your A race course, and I want it, you're going to have these long aerobic threshold sessions. If you're out on a three-hour run and two hours and 30 minutes of it are at aerobic threshold, now you're in that race specificity and you're getting your body ready. I know back in the early days of periodization, race specificity was something that we pretty much ignored, right? And people on race, they would get there and they'd ask their body to do something more than it had done before and it couldn't do it. So I think the long aerobic threshold sessions, whether you're a marathon or an Ironman or whatever, are the sessions that are going to now take that, you know, incredible cardiovascular strength that you have and use it to teach your body how to carry that cardiovascular strength for 26 miles. And that's the translation there is sort of these longer step-up runs during the week and then a long run with pace training in it, right? So you're doing a big block like a Let's say it's a three-hour run. You're doing an hour of that in zone three and an hour of that in maybe zone 3.5 to 4, something like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or, any, or anywhere that, that long aerobic threshold session is anywhere from the zone 3 to zone 3.5 to, for those who don't really understand their heart rate zones or are still running by pace, and they can think, okay, I'm gonna, that session needs to be at 5 seconds to 10 seconds faster than your, your next A race goal. Yeah. And that's going to help you condition your body for race day a lot better. Yeah, and that's a serious workout, the equivalent effort level of your race almost. The only thing you're missing is that last 10K. Again, it depends on who you are. If I send one guy out with a three-hour run, he runs 24 miles. If I send another guy out with a three-hour run, he might only run 18 miles. It just depends on who they are. But again, it's the preconditioning of the body, and it's the real indicator of what you can do on race day, right? It's like, and I'm not going to name any names, but... Anyone who thinks they can gauge their marathon time by their 5K time is absolutely belongs in a sane asylum because you just can't do that. Because none of us know what's going to happen to our bodies at mile 20, right, or mile 22. There's the indicator of where you're at. And you can't gauge that by any 5K or 10K. You can only gauge that by your long runs. So if you come through your long run, and I tell people all the time, at the end of a training cycle, if you have a great long run, guess what? You still probably have a little bit more pace left in you on race day because now we're going to heal. Sometimes I hear this, well, coach, my long run was a little worse than it was four weeks ago. I said, well, that's okay. You're 20 weeks into a training cycle. That's going to happen. Your body's tired. But that's what taper is about, right? Taper is about letting the yeah. body recover, replenish, heal up all those little torn microfibers, and get to the starting line ready to go, and then your performance increases. I say this to everyone who's listening. If you have a bad long run that doesn't get you the results that you think you should have at that 20-week point in your cycle, it's only natural. Your body's broken down. Yeah, yeah. And then that's typically coming at the end of a pretty big week, too. So, you know, you're going into that pretty fatigued to begin with. Yeah. And so it's it's hard. And I've been there. And then you get out into that second step up and you just can't do it. You fail. Psychologically, that's hard because it reminds me a lot of tanking in a marathon, right? It's right about the same point. Right. You mentioned step-up runs all the time because you know I'm a big fan of step-up runs. And I've always said that's the key to the Kenyan success. They run from the midpoint of their training cycle to race days, long step-up runs are what they do. And it just teaches the body how to finish. That's the bottom line. It teaches the body how to finish. 
when you're tired and you're asking for that extra effort, again, I say this all the time, it's your mind that quits before your body does. And if mentally you've been there before and you've pushed through that before, you can do it again. Your legs don't control your mind. Your mind controls your legs. So the more mentally conditioned you are by running through that hard stuff, when that hard stuff comes again on race day, you're able to say, okay, I can push through this. I've done it before. And you do it. That whole psychological approach to coaching and running and training, and I think a lot of people don't get to. I mean, it's just, look, there has to be a time in the cycle where you push yourself and you challenge yourself yeah. mentally as much as physically. Yeah, and I think you got to, uh, it, it puts a lot of focus on being mentally prepared for the training efforts. Because I can remember a lot of those long runs where I went in tired or mentally exhausted and they just didn't go well right? It makes your training is almost as intense as your, uh, as your racing. So it's kind of the, kind of the, you got to bring yourself to every training session, which is hard sometimes in a busy life. So, yeah, but anyhow, yeah, especially, at the end of, uh, especially at the end of a training cycle, you say, Oh my God, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this run today. Right. Right. Yeah. And then you get out there and it's a giant run and you're like, ah, you know, I know. I've had my best runs physically and mentally on, on my worst days going out the door. I, I don't know how that happens, yeah. but it seems like that's the way it works. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to let you go. Thanks for the coaching, Coach. What's next for you? Oh. you got any big plans? Yeah. We just got into the uh, United Airlines half marathon in New York City. So oh, okay. Yeah, we're going to run that. I'm thinking about the 70.3 in Chattanooga, and I'm already signed up for Ironman Lake Placid. So. That's my year coming up. That's a tough race. All right. Good for you. Um, All right. All righty. So great to talk to you. We'll talk good soon. Good talking to you. Thanks, Chris. All Have right. a great day. You too. Bye.